Ah, great. We've been going through a series that's going to take us around a year, I think, of looking at each book of the Bible. And of course, in less than an hour, we can't teach a book of the Bible in depth, but we're trying to pull out those central ideas, those nuggets, those things that we will look back on. And when we read the Bible, we think, oh yeah, here's a guiding truth that's going to help me understand this book. And uh, we, uh, we just finished the book of Joshua, and uh, I'll actually be referring back to that. I'll just uh, throw in, I had just came, finished a wonderful week where um, my daughter and husband and two youngest children went for a long-awaited visit to England to see their grandparents and cousins. And, and so we had the pleasure of having three teenagers in the house. I forgot how much fun that is. It is so much fun. And it's also a whirlwind of high energy activity all the time. So if a few of my thoughts are a little disjointed, that might be why. But um, all the same, God speaks through his word and is faithful to always speak to us and uh, show himself to us. And um, God's word is beautiful, even when life is a whirlwind around us. Um, so I'm going to actually back up to the end of the book of Joshua. Joshua led the Israelites in the promised land of Canaan, and God used him to lead the people in conquering the kingdoms in that land. But the task was not yet complete. The tribes of Israel have been allotted land and still need to take possession of that land by driving out the people who are still there. In Joshua 23, Joshua is close to the end of his life, and he gathers all of the leaders in Israel and gives his final commands. So I'm going to read from Joshua 23, uh, verses 1 to... Uh, uh, actually, I'll, I'll pick, pick a few verses out of the chapter, but approximately to verse 13. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua... By then a very old man summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west, the Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land, as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain 
that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And then the very last verse of that chapter, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Joshua's final words contain some wonderful promises. God will fight for them and drive out the inhabitants of the land before them. They will take possession of the land God has intended for him, for them. The condition of this promise is that they follow the laws given by Moses and keep themselves from mixing with the nations remaining among them or bowing down to their gods. But Joshua is asking for more than that. And there's two little key phrases that stood out to me. Verse 8, cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. And verse 11, be very careful to love the Lord your God. The phrase cling to the Lord your God to me is beautifully descriptive. To cling is to hold tightly to. We can cling to a railing for safety or cling to a possession that we don't want to lose or cling to a person that gives us love and security. I have witnessed many, many first days of school and there's always one or two kindergarten children that are desperately crying and clinging to their mother, um, afraid to go into this strange classroom and uh, usually that's over pretty quickly. But sometimes we say someone is too clingy in a negative way and they need to show some independence. But here, Joshua is saying, don't lose your dependence on God. Don't venture off thinking that you can do this on your own. The older English word is actually cleave. It means the same thing and we use that in a marriage vow. Two people are asked, will you forsake all others and cleave only to her or only to him as long as you both shall live? And actually throughout the Bible, God's covenant with his people is also described in the language of marriage. And that's used here. God is wanting that kind of a close relationship with his people. Verse 11, be careful to love the Lord your God. It doesn't just say love the Lord your God, but be careful to love the Lord your God. Love is not just always a spontaneous feeling, but something we're careful to guard, cultivate, and maintain. We guard it by keeping ourselves from things that distract us from the person that we love. We cultivate it in so many ways by communicating, listening, serving, sacrificing, giving gifts, spending time, showing affection. We maintain it by realizing that love is not just a passive thing that will always remain, but it needs to be active. Just like exercise needs to happen regularly, if we say, I've exercised, now I'm fit, I can relax, it's surprising how quickly we find that we aren't as fit as we thought. And uh, our love for God is like that. We maintain it by exercising it. So much to be learned from the book of Judges. And uh, many things I'll share. But if we come out of this time with a renewed passion to cling to our Lord, the Lord our God and to be careful to love the Lord our God, we will have learned a central <clears throat> lesson of this book. So the book begins... Joshua dies, the Israelites begin the process of occupying the promised land. And the book is written with kind of a prologue. The first three chapters give us a summary 
of what's to come in the story. And quite quickly, the book becomes a painful, sobering read. If I read, did a surface reading of this book and then wrote a quick little review to post on Amazon, um, I would say something like this. Um, this book is a tragedy. It is a sobering look at human failure and depravity. Readers are warned this is not for the faint of heart. Contains scenes of and references to violence, betrayal, perversion, and depravity. God's chosen people end up indulging in some of the worst kinds of human behavior. However, uh, if I had written that, I would have missed something. As we read more closely and understand the book in the context of God's great story, it's not a tragedy. And I hope by the end of this we discover what looks like a tragedy in human terms is not. God is at work. God remains faithful to his chosen people and is unrelenting in his love for them and in pursuit of them in his eternal plan. But back to the, the part of this book that is not a feel-good story. Um, there's a cycle that is described in these first three chapters, and then the cycle is repeated in many stories to come. Uh, in the, the second chapter of Judges, it's given in a brief form, and then we, we know this cycle, we begin to see it over and over again. So if you would like to follow in Judges 2 in your Bible, um, as I refer to this, you can do that. I think it will also be clear just listening to this. We could call this the cycle of sin. The first step is people turning away from God and falling into sin. We already know from what Joshua said where this came from. They failed to keep the commands to follow the laws of Moses, to keep themselves unattached and uninfluenced by the people remaining around them, and most of all, to cling to the Lord and be careful to love him. So they begin to assimilate into the society around him, those kingdoms that are left in the promised land. They become like the Canaanites around them in their morals and in their worship. They were supposed to conquer and drive these people out, these people who had become so depraved and so ungodly in their practices. But instead, the Israelites accommodate and adopt their ways. Judges 2.11, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. First stage of the cycle was simply sin. The second stage of this cycle was bondage and oppression. Um, in good Addison style, we'll stick with S, slavery. God allowed them to be ruled over by foreign kings. Sin led to slavery. So the anger, verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into hands of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. Um, the story is clear. Their sin has led to oppression and slavery. But there's a third stage to the cycle where they realize the, 
the terrible situation they've gotten themselves into, and they cry out in distress. We'll say sin, slavery, slavery, and then SOS. When the people felt the pain of the oppression of these foreign kings, they were in great distress and cried out to the Lord. And verse, verse 15 simply says they were in terrible distress. distress. But they cry out. And that leads to a fourth stage, deliverance or, we'll say, a savior. The Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. And then a fifth stage, a period of peace from their enemies. Security. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, verse 18, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But with that peace, that security came often, or in most cases, always in the book of Judges, complacency and compromise, and they began to conform to the society around them. And so verse 19 tells us we're back to the beginning of the cycle. Whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of the practices or their stubborn ways. So from security, they moved to seduction. The society around them is again seducing them back, and they fall into sin again. And this, the cycle is repeated several times in the book of Judges, and uh, in every case, they call out to God and he answers and sends them a judge. Uh, there are 13 judges altogether, some very quick. We hear about them for a verse or two. Others, the story is developed in uh, three or more chapters, and we get to really see how God used those people. Uh, the judges that God raises up are flawed human beings. We don't necessarily hold them up as heroes of character, but they are all empowered by the Holy Spirit to do works of great power, and they bring deliverance to the Israelites. In the midst of their flaws, all of them act with great courage and respond in faith to God's call. Three of them, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson, are mentioned in Hebrews 11 as examples of faith, those who God used in powerful ways simply because they responded in faith to God. It reminds us how God is so different from us. He will use who he chooses to use. And if you go back and read Judges, you'll find that all of these uh, judges who saved them and who delivered them and were empowered and did the will of God had glaring problems and flaws. But so do we, and God wants to use us uh, when we respond in faith to him. So, we've seen the cycle. Sin leading to slavery. They send up an SOS. God sends a savior. They move into a time of security, but then comes seduction back into sin again. And I want to unpack the cycle um, in a little more detail now. Um, just an aside, a while back, we, uh, we had recommended to us a movie called The Mitchells Versus the Machine. And um, it's a very funny cartoon about a dysfunctional, quirky family who 
um, the father is taking them on a road trip in an effort to try to rebond and bring this family together. But in the meantime, the machine, um, cell phones, robots, even vacuum cleaners with a computer chip, the machines have conspired to take over the world. And this family, as, as odd and quirky as they are, become the saviors. They are the ones that are going to save the world from the machines as they want to take over. And um, they do that. And it's a little bit the same. Uh, the film is actually quite brilliant in its social commentary because the whole point is our obsession with screens and technology. Uh, at a certain point in the movie, all these people are enslaved by the machines. And an ironic thing is that they're placed inside these clear bubbles um, and they're a little bit worried, but then someone says, oh, but there's free Wi-Fi. And they all go, oh, it's going to be all right. <laughs> but um, uh, very well done movie in pointing out the kind of slavery that we could be prone to in our society. And this cycle that we see in, in Judges is a danger for us today. We can be seduced into sin which will lead to slavery. And it, it only takes a, a little look around to see the types of slavery, slavery that are out there to pull us in. But back to Judges, we see time and time again, God delivered his people from slavery and oppression. But soon after, the people turned from God and followed the gods of their neighbors and surrounding culture. Specifically, Baal or Baal and Ashtaroth are mentioned. Baal was a fertility god in the Middle East, and there were many local versions of this god. Worship practices included ritualistic prostitution in the temple and human sacrifice, often of firstborn children. This was not a benevolent god that they worshipped. It was a demanding, capricious um, god of their creation, but a cruel god who um, many years later, um, Elijah has a big confrontation with Ahab and Jezebel over the worship of Baal. And the people are calling out to, to Baal to save them. And Elijah says, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he doesn't hear you. And this was true of the gods they worshipped. They were not loving, all-powerful gods. They were somewhat magnified versions of selfish, temperamental human beings. And the people thought, to try to gain the favor of this god, we need to engage in these horrible practices, even to sacrificing our children. But the people of God are pulled in. Maybe they feel like somehow um, there's a quick fix in this. Maybe there's something going wrong. Oh, if we can make this sacrifice to the God Baal, maybe there'll be a quick answer for us. And they forgot that they knew the eternal God who'd made a covenant with them. He would be their God. They would be his people. They would be in a relationship together like a marriage. And yes, there were conditions, laws to follow, but if they followed these laws of the eternal God, Yahweh, with their whole heart, they would be blessed and live in a relationship with him. So very sadly, they were pulled away and uh, ended up following and worshiping these false gods. And uh, we, we want to be aware of uh, our own tendency as human beings. We can 
know that we've been called by the true God, our, our true Savior and Lord, and yet something looks attractive in our society that offers a very temporary fix to our problems or a temporary pleasure, or simply it's just very attractive. We think, oh yeah, people involved in that are having a really great life. Everything is going well for them. But we, don't, we want to be um, made aware by our God that this will lead to slavery. We've seen in earlier books of the Old Testament that God is both a loving and holy God. As I thought about this, I realized sometimes in my mind I thought, yes, God is 50% love and 50% holiness. And sometimes he has to stop loving us because he's so holy uh, and wants righteousness and justice. But I realized, no, God is 100% and more loving. He's 100% holy. His holiness his standards are all intertwined with his love. When he says, I want you to live a certain way, it's because that's the best way we can live. It's how he created us, and it's coming out of his love for us. So when we see God uh, bringing a fierce judgment on the people, uh, it's because he loves them, and his holiness is also an expression of that love. Um, we, we often said to our our children, when they did something wrong and got caught, we'd say, God is good to you. He let you get caught so that you won't fall into this trap in the future. Now we can deal with it. And God, in allowing these people to, uh, when they fell into sin, to be defeated and to be caught in slavery so they would call out to him, even that was his mercy. He could have said, no, I have nothing to do with you anymore. You've had your last chance, it's over. But again and again, he allows them to experience the consequences, to call out to him, to experience his saving grace. Because he's made a covenant, they are his people, and he will be faithful to his covenant, to his people, even when they have failed and turned away from him. Um, we're reminded in the New Testament that God doesn't want us to conform to the society around us. Romans 12 says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. So, God is there to save when the people have fallen into sin. When they call out to him, they send up that SOS, and he sends the deliverer. But we still see the cycle happening, and there's something, something that needs to break this cycle. I think that um, the deliverance wasn't enough. God didn't just want a people that would say, I'm in trouble, please help me. Uh, okay, I've helped you but somehow it didn't change their hearts deep inside. And they, so they were still prone to being pulled away by the temptations around them. Um, yeah, it's like those prayers that maybe some of us prayed when we were younger. I'm in trouble, God. Please just don't let me get caught this once and I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Um, and I don't know if anyone else relates to that. But all... If I prayed that prayer, all I wanted was to get out of trouble. I didn't want to know God and love him and cling to him. 
uh, and be, walk with him. It was just, please, God, just this once, get me out of trouble. Um, so let's um, remind ourselves that being saved, calling out, being saved by God, yes, we need that. And I urge you, if, if there's um, difficulty around you, even if it's of your own doing, don't just say, I got myself into this, God won't help me now. He will. But he wants more than that. He wants to save you for a relationship with him. He wants to save you so that you can walk with him and know him and live the abundant life that Jesus offers to us. The, um, the end of the book of Judges, I feel like I'm moving fast and jumping over a lot, so I encourage you to read the book with some of these thoughts in mind. But in the, the last few chapters of the book of Judges, there's this little phrase that comes up several times that says, in those days, Israel's had no king. Each man did what was right in his own eyes. And I thought, what an interesting verse. Um, and why is it repeated so many times? As I, as I pondered it, I thought, the writer, we don't know for sure who wrote this book. It could have been Samuel. It could have been an unknown writer. But in that little phrase is, I think, a longing. This person is seeing the cycle continues. God is there. <clears throat> he wants to save us. But we still are not recognizing a king, and we're still doing whatever we please. So there's a longing in that little phrase Oh, I wish we had this righteous king. Uh, I was confused by that phrase at first because later on, the people ask Samuel for a king and he says, uh, no, you don't want a king. The king will force your, your sons to fight. The king will take your goods and your money to build his palaces. You don't want a king. But then I realized that actually earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, God had promised his people a king, a good king who would know his law. And in other places in the Old Testament, God promises a king who will shepherd his people in righteousness. So it wasn't that God didn't want to give them a king. <clears throat> later, when the people asked for a king, they said to Samuel, we want a king like all the nations around us. He'll go out for us and he'll fight our battles um, he'll inspire us. We want a king like that. And I think what Samuel was saying was, no, you don't want a king like that. There's another kind of king <clears throat> that God wants to give you. And uh, the kind of king that God wanted to give was, Micah 5.2 says, I will give you a king who will shepherd my people, a king who would lead them as a shepherd. Um, Deuteronomy, the king had to learn by handwriting. The, the instruction was given, the king should write by hand all the laws of Moses. So <laughs> we've read those books uh, or had, had them preached to us. That's a lot of handwriting to do. But the king needed to know the law of God deep in his heart to lead the people righteously. And so who would this king be that's longed for that maybe will break this cycle of constantly being rescued and then fall away again. We know that God <clears throat> gave them Saul, who um, failed as a king, and then he gave them David, who was a human model picture of this king. 
Yes, David had moral and character flaws as well, but he was a man after God's own heart. And if we read his Psalms, he delighted in the word of God. He says, um, his delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. He, he loves the Lord. He says, I love the Lord because he heard my cry and my longing. Um, God said, this man is a man <clears throat> after my own heart. And I believe it goes back to those little phrases, cling to the Lord your God, be careful to love the Lord your God. Um, as a King David, I hope I'm not stealing someone's <laughs> sermon points from the next couple of weeks, but as a King David was not only there to rescue the people and fight for them, he was there to show them someone who loved and wanted to walk closely with the Lord his God. David was a, a picture of the great king to, to come, King Jesus. <clears throat> and King Jesus is the one who fights for us, who shepherds us, who leads us to um, the law of God. He places it in our hearts so that we, out of love, want to follow and obey our Father. And that's the great king that's longed for in Joshua. There was no king the people did what they pleased, but God would bring a great king for them. Not just a human king who'd be like their judges, um, but a king who could actually help change their hearts. Um, I just want to come back to those two phrases, cling to the Lord your God. Uh, it really spoke to me that Graham, in his testimony, lots of things were difficult, but in his baptism, he's choosing to cling to God. And we, we sang songs about that. My, my hope is only Jesus. My life is totally bound with his, we sang. Um, I need you. Every hour I need you, Lord. And so I want to urge us to, this week, how can you cling to the Lord your God? Um, don't be ashamed to say, I depend on you, God. I can't do this on my own. Um, that self-dependence will lead us to depending on the wrong things and lead us to slavery. Clinging to the Lord our God for all of our strength is what I think the children of Israel were missing in the book of Judges and why they got caught up again in that cycle of sin. Be careful to love the Lord your God. Is there a way that you can stir up? Love doesn't just always happen. How can you stir up the lo your love for God? Taking time to be thankful, taking time to worship him. Uh, taking time to talk to him, bringing a sacrifice of praise and worship to him. Can we be careful to love the Lord our God and uh, let him, you know, when we make those first moves, God also stirs up. Thank you. You could hear the hoarseness in my voice. Thank you so much. God will, will answer us and stir up that love inside of us. Just um, a few, I, you know that I think in songs. And as I was thinking of this great king that they longed for and that God promised, uh, a song that we learned years ago came to mind. The words go, you are full of mightiness, you are full of power, yet there's kindness in your castle and goodness in your tower. You rule and reign in firmness and in faithfulness. Your rod is righteous and your scepter is true. Um, only by the wisdom of Christ that I am could I have imagined a lion as a lamb. 
Never in my life had I imagined one like you, a king, so just and true. Jesus is our great king. He's not the king that will um, lead us in the wrong direction or fail. He is the king that is just and true. He's our shepherd. He is the lion. He is the lamb. And God calls us to, to devote ourselves, give our loyalty and allegiance to this great king, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>